Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. How are you doing? I am doing good. How are you, I'm Randy? Glad. Oh, man. I, I, I spent all day in Helena, Montana yesterday in the halls of our capital. I am just, oh, man, I'm so good today. <laughs> in the halls of the national capital or the state capital, I'm guessing. Yeah. You yeah. Uh, must have been there for legislative issues. Yeah. I was. It wasn't like we charged the Capitol and tried to take over or anything. You know, <laughs> we showed up unarmed, peaceful, gave our peace. And I, I don't know. You go there and you want, you leave there. So all these really serious folks, these amazing volunteer citizens, they take a day off work or a day from their business or their family, and they show up there. Like one guy, Justin, drove all the way from Glasgow, Montana. If you know how far that is, that's a six-hour drive each way. Wow. He drives that far, and then he gets told, oh, there's so many people opposing this bill, everyone gets two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So he drives 12 hours. For two minutes of testimony. But you go do that, and you hope that you're making a difference. You never know until the final vote. Uh, And sometimes the committee vote isn't what is the deciding thing. Sometimes you've made a big enough impression that when it gets to the full floor, they might vote against it. But it's uh, it's all part of the process. And uh, so when you ask how, how am I? If you looked at the bags under my eyes and a few more gray hairs and probably my eyebrows are bushing out like the crazy mad scientist professor you had in your (laughs) physics class in college or something, Uh, that's probably me this morning, but I've had a cup of coffee, so I'm I'm full of vinegar. I'm I'm ready to go. how are things over in Idaho? How was the basketball world? You were coaching basketball last I time was. I talked to you. Yeah, you guys turned, do good? Turned out good. Yeah, we uh, had a good season. Uh, our JV team won, got a second place in the district championship, so we made it to the district championship and got second place for the second year in a row. Mm-hmm. So that was good game. The team we played was undefeated, and we uh, were tied with them with 3.6 seconds left in the game, and they ended up getting a guy open at the top of the key, and he banked in a three-pointer as the buzzer went off, and they won by three. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. a little bit of a heartbreak, and then our varsity uh-huh. team made it to state just the second time in 33 years and uh, never been in the state championship game, never won a a championship and we defied all odds and made it to the championship game and lost to an incredible team by seven points. So hmm. yeah. Do, does the audience know that you were a college basketball player? I'm not sure. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was the the ESPN documentary last year with the, the Chicago Bulls and the whole Michael Jordan story. What was the name of that? Uh, you 
I know what you're talking about. I watched it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It, you know, Dude. go ahead. You you finish yours and then I'll. So whatever that was, someone someone's on the other end saying, you knucklehead, this is what it was called. <laughs> um, the last dance. Last dance. Yeah. So uh, it showed how competitive Michael Jordan was. I wonder if the audience knows that you you could have that you could have been cast for that role, given how competitive you are against those elk. My that, wife, that is, honestly, that, we were sitting watching it, and she looked over and she goes, "That is you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I do, and I even I talked about it a little in uh, one of the outros in Destination Elk this year. That I just get so intense and so it's not necessarily. I mean, it is competitive, but it's against the elk, which yeah. is different here, but. I'm the same, and I mean, elk calling, basketball, anything. I get so competitive and just so. <laughs> I, know I like to say driven and focused, uh-huh. but yeah, well, uh, after no, I, seeing I, Michael Jordan and the way he treated some of his teammates and stuff, it really made me stop and think, okay, I need to make sure I don't take it to that level. <laughs> oh, you don't want Steve Kerr to punch you in the chin? No, I don't want to be walking up the trail and turn and have Donnie punch me in the chin or anything. <laughs> if it ever gets to that, I know it's bad. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know how that, how that applies to, uh, well, that that's me trying to close the loop of your <laughs> basketball coaching. To, to elk hunting, since this is the Elk Talk podcast. But what do you want to talk about today? We got all kinds of emails from the audience. Yeah. And since our last podcast talked about how to be a, an advocate in the political process, <laughs> uh, we sure got a lot of emails about that, didn't we? We did. It's amazing how many bills are being presented this year that affect hunting. Yeah. It seems like and, every state has them. And what did I send you this morning? Yeah, an e- one from my e- e- Yeah, an email link that someone had forwarded to us where your game and fish department published a rulemaking change. This rulemaking proposal would modify Chapter 13.01.04.500 with the following. Increase the annual limits of deer and elk tags set aside for allocation to outfitters for their clients. Huh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, so it's open to comment. The public comment period is open until March 24th, and then there will be a public meeting scheduled for Wednesday, March 31st. You must sign up to be in, in that virtual meeting by March 26th. So if you go out to the Idaho Game and Fish website, uh, this is uh, in their About. You click on About. And then where it's in about, you go to something like rulemaking process, and there you'll have it. So interesting. They and would want to. I, I would guess that it's not going to be an increase of tags to give to them. It's coming out of somebody's pocket. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, it's the non-resident allocation. Imagine uh, would, that. Twenty-five percent would go of the general elk and general deer would go to non uh, go to outfitters. So. <laughs> What did we call it in our last one? Was it a subsidy or welfare? Yeah. Or? yeah so here's uh, 
Here, here's the question they ask. Currently, the number of general hunt elk tags set aside for allocation to outfitters to sell to their clients is 2,800 A and B tags combined, which you guys have the elk A and elk B, yep. which is 21.8% of the non-resident quota for general elk hunts. So it would go from 218 to 25%. Then the number of general deer tags set aside for allocation to outfitters for their clients is 1,985 both regular and whitetail tags combined, which is 12.8% of the non-resident quota for general hunt deer tags. This would increase it to 25%. So that's an increase of 12.2% in terms of the total number of tags you guys give to non-residents. So What's crazy? One, one would go, the elk would go from 21.8% up to 25%, and the deer would go from 12.8% up to 25%. So that means that the number of elk and deer tags that were already decreased for non-residents this year in Idaho, not to mention the increase in the cost of those tags, Mm -hmm. now they're going to take that decreased pool and take even more tags out of it to give to outfitters. But the crazy thing is is they've never sold out of those outfitter allocated tags. <laughs> yeah. So they're, all they're doing basically is reducing that number and saying, if you want to come hunt Idaho, you have to go with an outfitter. Yeah. So here's what they do say in, in the feedback box. You actually get to leave your, your comment. It says, Idaho Outfitters and Guides Association has petitioned the Fishing Game Commission to adopt a rule to set aside the statutory maximum of 25% of the non-resident general elk hunt tags Hunt, general hunt elk tags and 25% of the non-resident general hunt deer tags as the new annual limits for allocation to outfitters for the use of their clients. Then the Game and Fish, to their credit, is saying, you get to answer. Do you support increasing the number of general hunt elk tags and general hunt deer tags that are set aside for outfitters to use for their clients to, the stat, to a statutory maximum of 25%? Yes or no? I'm going to answer it. I'm going to say, no, contact information. Randy Newberg, email. Don't ask, but you got to put it in anyhow. Randy. <laughs> at dairyqueen.com. There you go. At dq.com. <laughs> Dairy Queen's going to get a whole bunch of emails now. City or, yeah, city or town, Bozeman, state, Montana. So that's probably, if it says Montana, that's going to get it put in the round file. The garbage file. Submit. Voila. Thank you for participating in this rulemaking public comment period. So that's how easy it was for me to go and tell your department I don't agree with that. And that's all they want to know is a yes or a no. Yep. Interesting. So because, for those because who are listening, the, yeah. if you have any interest in hunting Idaho as a non-resident, I would suggest you go out to the website and take the survey Randy just took and tell them, no, you're not interested in taking tags out of your pocket to subsidize the outfitters in Idaho. Yeah, so ooh, people might say, well, what legislator do I call? Well, this is a different place. Yep. This is rulemaking. So your legislature has given your department the authority to change these numbers as they see helpful or or beneficial. So now our last podcast talked about when policy is in a legislative setting. Here is policy that's in an administrative agency setting. 
So sometimes policy gets affected by the agency or administrative rulemaking process. And your state, like just about every other state, has a public comment process. So this is your chance, folks. Go to the Idaho Game and Fish website, click on About, and then click on Rulemaking, and there it will be. Or you can probably search... I was going to say, they don't have anything on the homepage and their news and they're featured. It's just snuck mm-hmm. in back here on a little back page. <laughs> uh, yeah. So <clears throat> this rulemaking was published in the March 3rd, 2021 Idaho Administrative Bulletin. So your state has a 79-page administrative bulletin that got published on March 3rd. 2021, that is all of the proposed changes to Idaho Administrative Code. So, there you go. So, we're just, we're teaching people how to, how to speak up for themselves, I hope. That's right. So, anyhow, with that behind us, you, you, no one even <laughs> has to drive to Helena and take a whole day off work, stand in the halls w- with everybody looking around like... So here was the funny part, and this is so standard when you go to these legislative hearings. Some of the folks who came yesterday from my Hunt Talk website were asked, hey, show up if you can. And I can't believe how many of them showed up. It's so impressive. And uh, a lot of them, this was their first time doing this. And most of them remarked, like, what's that group huddled up over there in the corner? Well, what it is is the lobbyists who were supporting this really bad bill in Montana, hanging out with the legislators who were supporting it. It's like cocktail hour in the halls of the legislature. (laughs) And here we are, a bunch of amateur, not even amateur, novice. You know, we don't have any connections. If I were to walk over there and start talking to people, they'd be like, you're not welcome here, man. This is our party. What are you doing? (laughs) I thought I'd crash your party. So... Here, people, you know, just go to the Idaho Game Fish website. You don't even have to take a day off work. Now, I will say this, that if anyone doesn't have enough energy to log on to their computer and do that, they probably don't deserve an Idaho elk or deer tag. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's just my own personal opinion. So take it for what it's worth. But we did get some more questions about uh, it was a person from Idaho, and I don't want to make this Idaho-centric because we're going to get to the New Mexico details here pretty soon because the New Mexico deadline's coming up. Uh, when is that? March 17th is the New Mexico deadline. It's coming up here. Let's talk about like, that first before yeah. we talk about the Idaho wolf making all the elk shut their mouth. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, New Mexico, you applying this year? I'm not. Yeah, I'm I I'm wishy-washy this year whether or not I'm going to apply in New Mexico. I just it's getting harder and harder to draw. You got your $65 license cost that's non-refundable, which isn't the end of the world. But then you got $9 more stamps. You got to front a bunch of money and your odds are really really slim. So, I'm I, I like the fact that New Mexico does not have a point system. So that usually suckers me into it. It's like, 
look, Randy, you you blow more money on this on other raffles that have way lower chances than a New Mexico elk tag. So, <laughs> ah, what the heck? But, so, in New Mexico, eighty four percent of the tags go to residents, which is less than most states. Most states, it's ninety percent. Yeah. Uh, but there's a caveat. <laughs> yeah, there's a caveat. There always is the, the except but for caveat. Uh, 6% go to the self-guided non-residents, so that gets us up to 90%. And then if you go with an outfitter, they've carved away 10% of the tags. The, if you go with the outfitters, you know, do you have a contract with an outfitter? So yep. uh, there's a... There's a lot of really unique things about New Mexico that they have really short seasons. And that's how they get so many people in the field is they'll give you a tag, but you only got five days in the rifle hunts and the archery hunts. The first archery hunt, I think, is 14 days. And the second archery hunt, I think, is, let's see, 10 days, if I remember right. Yeah, let's just say nine or 10. But after that, the muzzleloader and rifle hunts are five-day hunts. So if you draw a New Mexico tag, you better be on your game. <laughs> That's where Andy's advice to show up a couple days before the hunt and scout comes in handy. Yeah, because, uh, you know, you show up and all of a sudden you get, you know, some sort of strange weather event or something else happens. It's like when you have a five-day hunt, it doesn't take much of a mix-up to cause your hunt to go south if you only have five days. So. Yeah. And the weather uh, down there, I remember a few years back, they had that crazy rainstorm that shut everything down. <laughs> yeah. So you only have five-day season. It's uh, it's tough. Yeah. So no point system. So the fact that I've been applying, Moby Dick was a minnow back when I first started <laughs> applying in New Mexico. <laughs> but the person who jumps in this year for the first time has the same odds I do. Yep. So, which quite honestly, I prefer that. And some people are listening saying, you idiot, Newberg, I want to at least get something for my investment. Well, all you get for your investment is a great big long line that you might be in the back of that long line. So, yep. And by, th by that, I refer to point systems. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, what else do we need to tell people? Oh, they give you three choices. So, and you can draw any of them, right? First, yep. when they look at it, I mean, they pull your name and they look at your first choice. And if it's no tags, they immediately go to your second choice. If there's no tags, they go to your third choice. So, yep. Choose they, wisely. <laughs> yeah. So the strategy to that, swing for the fences for your first choice. Maybe even swing for the fences on your second choice. But if you want to have a higher likelihood of going elk hunting in New Mexico, make your third choice something a little more reasonable. Yeah. But <clears throat> I'm not going to go into all the gory details because a podcast can't do justice to it compared to what the go hunt strategy articles and all that stuff Brady and Trail do. So we we gave them a deadline. Uh, right here I'm reading it March 17th. What is that? That's a That's a week from today. Yeah. Ooh. Uh oh. We better get this edited and published, Corey. <laughs> we should just stop it right now and send it to Joe. <laughs> well, that's, uh, off when we were off mic one time, Corey's like, 
well, maybe we should just tell them it's somewhere in this range of dates. And, <laughs> you know, if, if the podcast gets published after that, well, uh, we tried. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to do if Joe's on vacation and he can't get this published and turned or edited and turned around in time? I don't think Joe ever takes vacation. Every time we send him something, he has it back to us like in an hour. Yeah, I know. So just in case this gets published late, we also have the Montana deadline that's coming April 1st and the Colorado deadline shortly after that, April 6th. And I see Nevada move their deadline into May, like early May. So when's Oregon's deadline? Uh, It's later. May 15th or yep, something it's usually like that? right on the 15th. So as okay. long as it's not on a weekend, I should look here and see what. It is a okay. Saturday, so maybe they moved it to the 17th. Okay. So. But it's a little later in the Idaho's always June 5th. Yeah. But if you want all the details on this, just go to gohunt.com, sign up for their insider, use promo code ELKTALK, and they'll give you a $50 gift card for their gear shop. That's that's a quicker way. Well, I don't want to say quicker because most people who sign up will now lose about 20 hours of productivity nerding out oh, it's so on bad. the website at Gohan. So. I just, I, and you talk about rabbit holes. <laughs> I go in there to look up one tag, one draw odd, and pretty soon I've got my entire next 10 years planned out. Well, not pretty yeah. soon. It's three days later. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, it, it's kind of a two-edged sword, right? It's very helpful, but it sure is a hit to my productivity some days. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyhow, New Mexico, the 17th of March. Don't miss that. And get yourself ready for Montana and for Colorado. And those of you wondering, know that all the crazy Montana legislation you've been hearing about, none of that affects the 2021 draws. If any of it passes, it'll go into effect in 2022. So still the same for 2021. But uh, now we can go to the the question we got. Uh, someone said that they, they hunt in Idaho, and they had a question of how do you get elk to respond in these units that have so many wolves? And I thought, there's nobody I know. Better to answer that question than Corey Jacobs. <laughs> Man, he I, lives in we he lives in Idaho. <laughs> yeah, he lives in Idaho. He hunts wolves. He hunts elk. He's the man. This question was built for Corey Jacobson. Yeah, we did. I mean, the elk bugle so good here. We just get out and slam the truck door, and they start bugling. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Anybody ever compares elk hunting to turkey hunting? That's the first thing I say is I've never slammed a door and had an elk answer it. I've had turkeys <laughs> answer a slamming door, but <laughs> never an elk. Uh, I'm going to remember that the next time someone tries to say, "Oh, turkey hunting is just like elk hunting." I I don't know because I'm not a turkey hunter. I've shot two in my life, which is a testament to the fact that every population has at least two animals that are mentally challenged. <laughs> so that's all that proves. So, uh, you know, but, I uh, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll make a long story out of all of this, but. Uh, actually, I just went and picked up a trail camera yesterday that was on a dead elk, a dead bull elk that the wolves had killed, and mm-hmm. I had to put a trail camera on it, and it was amazing 
the amount of wildlife that come to a dead elk. Really? Yeah. I got pictures of obviously magpies and ravens. Mm -hmm. I got pictures of golden eagles. I got pictures of a white snowshoe hare. What's a, what's a snowshoe hare doing? Was he saying, hey, if, if you get this thing plucked clean, I'll be the next sacrificial That's animal? It's like if you knew how many predators were sitting right here, but he came hopping through. Uh, there were two fishers. Oh, wow. Yeah, that were there. It was pretty awesome listening to them because they have video with audio and they were growling and. Wow, that's on cool. bones and everything. Uh, there were foxes. Hmm. There were wolves, which the pack we've been chasing, and I'm trying my darndest to keep on them. But this yeah. this uh, elk, we put the trail camera on it on January 15th, and they came in for about three weeks but hadn't been back since. But one of them is really? the, the black wolf that I've really been wanting to catch up to so the, it was a three-week period between when they showed up again uh no they they came in for a few days they had, you know the elk still had quite a bit of meat and chompins on it and mm-hmm. so they came in for the next three i think three days after we set the trail camera and then they just came through and basically checked on it one more time about three weeks later huh. two and a half weeks later yeah but the real prize, and this was the first time I've captured it on trail camera, mm-hmm. I had a wolverine. No way. Or way. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that's like that's like a 400-inch bull elk to oh, get a wolverine on a trail camera. It's like getting a unicorn on a trail camera. <laughs> <laughs> and the folks in Alaska and northern Canada are going to be like, yeah, I see those all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we feed uh, them on our porch. Yeah, yeah, not for, here. For where we are, and my wife actually was cross-country skiing, gosh, when was it? First of the year, somewhere in there, and took pictures of these tracks and brought them back. And I was like, that has to be a wolverine. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I'd never seen wolverine tracks in that area. I'd never obviously seen a wolverine, but I think it might have been wolverine tracks she saw because there was a wolverine. Mm-hmm. Wow. So So here's what I'd ask you to do with that footage. Give it to your game and fish agency. Because right now, a lot of folks are trying to get the wolverine in the lower 48 listed as an endangered species. Mm. So as many of them as we can show exist, better off we are. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that was exciting. That was my lead into uh, wolves. And this particular pack of wolves... I have never heard them howl, and I have really? spent countless days tracking them and chasing them and setting trail cameras, and we sat on this kill. Uh, we went back and sat on the hill, and I, I'm going to have to look at the dates we were there and then the pictures, but I'm pretty sure that they were on the kill, and they must have heard the snowmobiles coming up the other side of the mountain and took off because it was like 1041 there were pictures of them there or videos of them and uh, i think at like 11 30 we were sitting on the hillside watching the kill and they didn't come back till the next day but Darn. anyway they're uh, those wolves are becoming less vocal and i think that they're learning that when they howl they, uh, <laughs> they attract rifle shots and you know it's kind of similar to what the elk are doing the elk have realized that if they 
bugle a lot, then it's like ringing a dinner bell. So they are less vocal uh, in some areas. We've had areas where they're still, and there's wolves there, where they're still incredibly vocal. And I don't know what the difference is. I think I've probably told the story before, but I stalked in on a bull elk in his bed several years ago. I think it was 2006. uh, And he was bugling back at the wolves howling. And I didn't even have to bugle or anything. He just, the wolves would howl and he'd bugle back at them. And I snuck in and shot him at like 18 yards in his bed. Uh, (sighs) And he just, like I said, he was very vocal answering the wolves. But then other times I've had elk bugling like crazy and wolves start howling and the elk go completely silent. And I slip in and the elk are right there in the same meadow feeding, but no longer bugling. So... It's uh, it's definitely, I think, the biggest thing is it changed their habits. It changed what the elk do. The elk don't just stay in one meadow or on one ridge anymore. They're continually moving, and they're very, mm-hmm. very uh, nomadic anymore. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that has to do with staying ahead of the wolves. Yeah. And so that's been the biggest thing for me is not so much the, the vocalization has definitely decreased, but I think that they'll still talk. Uh, but now it's way harder to find them. And when you find them one day and go back the next day and it's silent in there, it's not necessarily because they aren't bugling. It's probably because they've moved a long ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have uh, elk and wolves here in Montana also, like they do in Wyoming, like they are getting in Colorado through natural migration, but also if they ever get around to that ridiculous introduction bill they passed yeah. uh, but uh i i think that i would this is completely anecdotal you know just my own observation and experience i'd say it's very much what you've said the elk are still there they're still doing their thing but they do it differently they use the landscape differently and i've just had to change some of my hunting location and some of my hunting style to adjust for that. Yep. Yeah, and when it comes to calling, you know, you aren't going to probably walk out on the on the edge of a road and cast a bugle out and a mile and a half away have an elk answer it. You know, they're just, you have to get closer to them to get them to respond initially. Uh, you have to get closer to them to keep them responding and make them interested. You know, I think in that way, it's definitely changed the elk calling. But again... You know, and it's there, there's just so many factors, you know, hunting pressure, the weather, the smoke, all these different things that can contribute to elk not talking. Yeah. Uh, and wolves are, are definitely a part of that. But I still think that, you know, they'll still talk. Wolves haven't haven't made them evolve into nocturnal silent animals yet. Well, that I, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule that you can say, you know, it's this or it's that. It's, you know, it's somewhat dependent upon the elk density, the wolf density, uh, you know. It's mostly, from my experience, has been be adaptable and try to figure out what's going on and adjust accordingly. Don't get stuck. I I used to have my way of doing things. Okay, this is what I do. I show up and this is how I do it. Um, <laughs> and... Wolves are just, like you said, one more dynamic that doesn't serve my old style very well. I mean, if I showed up and said, this is how I do it, and the weather wasn't conducive to that, guess what? 
I was messed up. Yep. Now add wolves as one more variable is just one more reason why I can't be stuck in my ways of saying, this is how I do it. If they aren't here, well, heck with them. Uh, <laughs> I thought as you got older, so, you got more stuck in your ways. I am so stuck in my ways, Corey, you don't even want <laughs> you don't even want to know. I was gonna say I uh, I used to say, man, you gotta do whatever you can do to hunt elk depending on the season and location and everything, but I found mm. myself calling all year this year. If you did you if you watch Destination Elk, uh, Sam, <laughs> November third, last day of Idaho rifle season, we found a bull bedded and sat on it for three or four hours, and it stood up and walked off without presenting a shot, and it walked into the trees, going away from us. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. there goes our only chance. And so I did the only thing I knew to do. I called to it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it turned around and came running out of the trees and started down the hill towards us. And then he shot and missed. <laughs> uh, November third. But then the crazy thing, it stood there. Yeah. And it ended up walking back out into the open and down into the timber and then came through an opening in the timber and he shot it and hit it. So mm. and yeah, there you go. I I mark that up to a call in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'd mark that up to don't get stuck in your ways and say, well, it's after October 1st, they aren't going to call or respond to calls. That's true. See, you I, was versatile. Versatile. I was being versatile. I was being versatile. Adaptable, yeah. versatile. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you say Ed versatile? No, I said versatile. <laughs> versatile. Adaptable, adversable. Like yeah. I've been told I was adverse before. In- incorrigible. <laughs> uh, but that's, I think that's a a really good uh, lesson to be learned is don't think that every elk is the same and that every situation is the same. Dude, you know, don't be afraid to experiment. What did, what did you have to lose in that situation? Last day of the season, last hour and a half of daylight, the only elk we had seen in several days and... Yeah, that's I. I knew that we couldn't chase it. You know, the wind wasn't good. It was noisy. It wasn't open enough. We only had that one opening there where we actually had a shot, and so yeah. called and piqued his interest. Well, that kind of leads to the next question we got. This person is hunting elk at high elevation in September, and wants to know if elk will be up around timberline, which they said is about 11,000 feet in the early season. The temps get down to 25 degrees. It gets cold that night. Will they be there? Maybe. I wish I had a formula for where the elk were going to be. Yeah. But maybe I should say it where the person wants to know, will that will those conditions of cold temps at high elevation move the elk out of there? Yeah. My answer, no. Yeah. They're 25 degrees. <laughs> An elk would prefer that once they get their winter coat on. They'd, they'd rather have that than 55 degrees. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I could imagine how excited a bull elk would be to rut in 25-degree weather instead of 80-degree weather. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. don't elevate, and we get that asked all the time. I'm going hunting in Colorado. What elevation should I be looking at for elk? And the truth is, elk live everywhere from sea level to 14,000 feet. And 
There's just no band where you can say this is a prime elevation for elk. It really depends on the habitat and the terrain and the area, the weather, the season, so many things. Um, but yeah, we've hunted elk in September at 11,000 feet, and they were acting just like normal elk. I think in Colorado, you know, you get up there above timberline in some of those areas, and, and the elk habits are definitely different. Sometimes they'll actually come up yep. uh, to feed instead of going down, which is what they usually do. The, you know, they don't pay attention to the thermals uh, in those areas as much as they do in other areas. They move up with the thermals you know, going with them sometimes. And uh, then at night, they stay up above the timberline with the thermals going down, but it's usually they're out in that open stuff, so they're protected a little bit yeah. more with their eyes than with their nose. Yep, I uh, I actually did that this year in October. October 10th was opening day of first rifle in Colorado. I had the tag, and I looked at it, and I like to hunt anything that's an edge, whether it's an edge of a burn, edge of a clear cut, edge of a change of vegetation types. Well, tree line, if you think about it, is an edge. Totally. And so what were the elk doing? Exactly what you said. In the day, they're bedded down in the timber. Tree, tree line here was 11.5 to 12,000 feet. Man. So we were camped at about 11. And the number of elk at night that were coming up out of tree line in feeding between 11.5 and 12.5 was crazy. But you think about it, that's an edge. And it was a warmer fall, so there wasn't a ton of snow. So all that grass stuff, all that forage that was above tree line was still available to them. It wasn't under snow. And so went up there. You'd be so proud of me. The first First call I made was just a cow call through my bugle tube, and a bull tried to run us over. <laughs> I'm like, let's get out of here. Let's get, let's get because it was a scouting day. Yeah, it was the day before season. I'm like, let's get out of here before he smells us. So we're trying to get away from him. Well, the next morning was opening day, and there was a bull leaving. The, a group of cows came off that high country, headed down into the deadfall, all the beetle kill. And about 20 minutes later, I look way over where they were. They were two ridges away. Here comes a bull just bugling his brains out, going down the same trail, doing what you said. Had been up all night, feeding up high, and was following his cows down into the timber. And he got shot <laughs> by me. I was going to say, I bet I know who the, who the shooter was. Yeah. The funny part was they give away a lot of tags. It's a limited entry hunt, but there's a lot of tags in this unit. We didn't see another hunter. I'm like, where? Well, we did lower. We saw a lot of hunters down in the timber. And I'm like, where? Why, why aren't people up here hunting this edge country? Because... I mean, maybe they all filled their tags with great big bulls. I don't know. Maybe I'm the one who's stupid to take llamas <laughs> seven miles back in there. Uh, but it was so classic. It was just almost, if you flatten this landscape out and just ignore the fact that the timber line is 11.5 and below that is, you know, dark timber and above that's open ground. If you just flattened it out and said, all right, if this was level ground, where would I hunt? I'd hunt this edge and that's, that's what we did. And so, yep. uh, to that person's question, do elk live up that high? 
uh, yeah, I mean, nighttime temperatures for us were getting down in the, you know, like 18, 19 degrees, uh, which I think for that high elevation was probably pretty mild still. And they were there. I, I'm waiting to build two points again so I can go back and do it. <laughs> it was almost not fair. I mean, uh, I, I can't say they're always going to be bugling uh, on that hunt, but they were this time. And it, it definitely is a big advantage to have a rifle in your hand when the elk are bugling. Oh, it's... Yeah, it almost seems like cheating in a good it, way. <laughs> I, I did turn to the camera just before, because we could hear him coming through the timber. And we set up across this little opening. And I said, look, he's going to come to this opening and he's going to look. He's not going to cross this big opening unless he sees an elk. And the opening's about 80, 90, 100 yards across, depending on how, you know, what part of the opening you're at. And, uh, I whispered to one of the camera guys as the bull's coming. I'm like, this isn't even fair, but it's fair enough. I said, (laughs) (laughs) might not be fair, but it's fun. (laughs) Uh, But it was weird. He stuck his head outside the trees, just like he's looking out. You know how a dog driving down the window has his head (laughs) sticking out the window? Yeah. That's what this guy did. He comes and he looks for a cow and he doesn't see one. So he turns around. And I let him have it again. And now he's like, all right, I must not have looked close enough. So this time he steps out a little bit. But he's got one little fir tree right in his vitals. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And he turns and he walks back in right on the edge of the trees. And I give another cow call. And he stops and he turns. And now his vitals, there's no trees in the way. (laughs) And I tell the camera crew, I'm like, you guys on him? Yep. Boom. So that bull died at 11,300 feet. So he'd made it down into the timber a little bit, but he'd spent most of his evening up with all those cows, I would bet, um, above 11,500. So hmm. hopefully that answers a person's question. Yeah. No, I, I would, I, I would be hesitant to ever say this is an elevation where elk will be or won't be because. Seems yeah. like every, anytime I've thought that I've been proven wrong. Yeah. And yeah, this is Colorado. Some of the peaks, you know, in that unit, there's quite a few 14,000 foot peaks. Yeah. So, uh, but if you look at how the edges go, you got the edge of the timber that converts to like almost a tundra grass type habitat. And then you get above that and it's mostly rock and ice. Once you get above, I don't know, 12, five, it looked like it was just rock and no vegetation so they're not going to be up in the rock piles that time of year because there's nothing to eat yep so i think you hit it right on just that edge of a clear cut edge of a burn just that transition from a a bedding area to a feeding area any of those fringes that you talk about are excellent places to find elk yeah so in your university of elk hunting course uh, you talk about burns or, or uh, edges, I mean? Because um, we've talked, you and I have talked about possibly adding some modules that really get into that in more detail. Some of the details, some yeah. videos. And so we mention it, but we don't talk detail about it. I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> Add that to the I, list. 
I, I think I did. I just volunteer for something. I was going to say you just created yourself more work. <laughs> I what even got it? myself no, out of it by yeah. saying you talk about hunting the fringes, so that's your topic. <laughs> All right, I'm putting down a note. University of Elk Hunting, Randy. <laughs> Video edges. What is an edge? All right, I got it written down here, Corey. Perfect. So. If people go out to the course, didn't you say that for the podcast, you give them some sort of promo discount, code thing, some yeah, discount? Yeah, promo code Elk Talk. That's, uh, that's discount. one you want to use. Yep. So they get to they got, save them 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Which in right. percentage terms is 20%. Yeah. So go out to, where do they go? Elk 101? Yeah, just go to Elk 101, click the link for the online course, and follow the little buttons to sign up. And you know, up. I, we, we, we got on this podcast, I was thinking, all right, I can check one thing off my to-do list for this week. We got a <laughs> podcast recorded. <laughs> and what do I do? I, op- I open my big mouth, and now I add some more things to my to-do list. Oh. Okay. Should we, should we give them a teaser of some of the topics that'll be... Added yeah. and updated you, here in the near future. Yeah, you you got that list? Yeah. You, well, sent, it, you sent it to me, but I don't have it handy. I just have a few of them written down here on a little sticky okay. note. But, mm. yeah, we're going to add an archery section and a rifle section, which will, uh, you know, the I think a lot of people have actually asked for those sections because we don't cover, you know, what grain arrow should you be shooting? What kind of broadheads should you be shooting? And that's, again, this is going to be somewhat, uh, there's a lot of options. I'll just leave it at that. And so we'll share what works for us. Uh, But there are some things, you know, we'll we'll talk about how to set up a rifle, how to set up a bow, you know, paper tuning, sighting in, talk about arrows and all that. Uh, We're going to add to the elk call section uh, with some taking care of elk calls and some expectations of how long they should be lasting. Uh, We're going to add to some of the meat care Locating elk, that's a big one. You know, locating elk is so vague sometimes that we're going to try to dive in and and add some detail to that. Uh, Solo hunting, hunting at altitude. And then we've got the, uh, if if people have been to the Elk 101 YouTube channel, they've seen the In the Zone series where we take an actual hunt, the video of a hunt, and break it down and, you know, get into 3D graphics, show where the elk is, show where the thermals are, and get kind of a more detailed perspective of, of what's going on and why an elk does what they do. And we've got a whole bunch of those that are going to be coming over the next few months to the, uh, to the online course. Whoa. You, you're going to double or triple the price. Oh, I would probably just discount it more. <laughs> no, let me, as your consultant, as your CPA, who's going to consult with you, Corey, there's this thing called value. You're saying that the value stays the same or the value gets greater, but you just want to, you, you're an altruistic, generous guy, right? Yeah, we're just like Burger King. Right. We're just supersizing things. There you go. Making things bigger okay. and better. All right. It's, hey, that's up to you. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. I'm, I, you know, I'll just laugh and say, Corey, I don't know what he's thinking. But whatever he wants to do. 
I just, so. I want people to be successful. And that's, yeah. I got in a little email argument with somebody I should have never responded. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just, it was the whole make the pie bigger or steal yep. another piece of somebody else's pie conversation. And it's more yeah. people who are successful. Will it really hurt the, the opportunities to hunt? Well, not if yeah. those more people who are successful become a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and become proactive in conserving and preserving and yeah. all of that. I just I think the more people we have on our side, the more opportunities it's going to give us. And the more that people are able to be successful, the more that they're going to be excited about it. And Yeah. And, well. that's, you know, Will Primos, I sat down and talked to him a few years ago, and he said something that's just stuck with me forever. And he said, you teach somebody to love something, and they'll protect it. Yeah. And if people oh, are successful, they're going to love elk hunting. If they aren't successful, they're going to hate it, and they're going to mm -hmm. give up at some point. And I want people to love elk hunting and because I know that if they love elk hunting, they're going to be on our team helping to protect it. Yeah. Well. I think both of us get our share of emails saying, why are you giving away this information? Why are you telling people this? Uh, well, on my whiteboard where I'm sitting right here in my office, it says, why? Every whiteboard in our office has this written on it. Why? To promote self-guided public land hunting and create advocates for that cause. Yep. So in my mind, to create advocates, you got to have them experience it. I have to know how to go out and do it and hopefully have some success. And then they become, like you say, advocates because they love it. So yep. it's always going to be part of what I do. Uh, and people are like, well, it's hurting your own chances. You know what? <laughs> if it is that, that it's hurting them so minusculely, that's a word. Man, uh, I like that a word. minuscule manner. I'm not going to lose any sleep over the fact that my odds or my chance, okay, maybe I got to share something with the next generation of elk hunters. You know what? Oh, well. I've, yep. It's not going to hurt, no, hurt our chances if we increase the pie. And that's, right. that's where exactly. I think the people who are opposed to it, they don't want to put in the work to increase the pie. Yeah. They want it left as is. They want less hunters. They just want to be able to go out fill their tag without having to work real hard for it and not ever have to worry about somebody else, you know, competing with somebody else's success. Yeah. Have I ever went into the scarcity thinker versus abundance thinker you on have. this podcast? I yep. have. Okay. No, All that's, right. I, that's a whole pie. To, yeah. A piece of the so, pie. Yep. Yeah. So, anyhow, you're going to be adding a lot. How many of those are you putting on my list? Because <laughs> I, I'm a good friend, Corey. And when I said, I'll do anything that you think is helpful, Corey. That was your uh, biggest mistake. <laughs> when you said, I would love to help contribute some more content to the University of Elk Hunting online course, the wheels started spinning. And I said, hmm. Let me get my list put together. Yeah, we've got uh, we've, I've got some things that Randy is uh, is knowledgeable on, and I'd love to have uh, him share that knowledge. Do you, Do you need any like tax seminars or anything like that? You know, I could, I, I could do you know tax planning for elk hunters or something. <laughs> but now that that's, I've, I've that's a rabbit hole, we're not going down. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know how many emails I get from people because they know I'm a for CPA? Tax advice? Well, a specific tax advice that is like this. How do I deduct my hunting costs? Um, well, you, you can deduct anything you want. You can deduct your dog food if you want to. Deducting it and defending it are two different things. <laughs> so uh, it's funny how much uh, tax advice they get asked for. And I always tell people it's worth what you paid for it. So, yep. So. Speaking of dog food, though, I mean, I'm training my new puppy to pick up shed antlers. How's that going? It's, you know, like training a child. <laughs> they okay. do really good one day, and then the next day, it's like, whose child is this? <laughs> what has gotten into you? Uh, so, uh, is it is shed season? When are they going to start dropping their antlers? April? Late March, uh, early April? Yeah, elk will. Deer yeah. have pretty much already dropped. I say pretty much because I just saw a mm-hmm. nice little four by five buck the other day that still carrying his antlers. Yeah. My neighbor has about 40 deer that hang out in his pasture over there. And now that the snow's starting to melt off, they bed there all day long. And through the course of the last two months, the number of them that show up with no antlers or one antler is kind of funny to watch. And now none of them have an antler on their head. Yeah. Are those mule deer? Uh, no, these are white tails. Really? Yeah, see, yeah. we're in northern Idaho when I grew up. We would, uh, the, the white tail would usually start dropping about Christmas, the week before Christmas. And yeah. they would really, by New Year's, you know, that first week of January, they were really hitting the ground. And hmm. I've noticed that it seems to be getting later a little bit, especially mule deer. You know, I mean, in mule deer, I found mule deer in early part of December, which is odd. It's usually mid-January. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're still holding on to them here the first week of March. Well, I, wow. there were six bucks that had completely dropped and one that was still carrying both of them. But. Yeah. So you'll be out shed hunting right away when they start dropping. I mean, are so I don't. This is me, you know. I hang them in trees. So I'm, I'm, I got I, I, everything I know about shed hunting is from just asking questions. Uh, so if you see bulls right now, do you kind of keep an eye on them? Yeah, and that's a lot of our wolf hunting is uh, okay. in areas where the bulls are. And I mean, it's it's uh, twofold. Uh, benefit there the one is you know the wolves are going to be where the bulls are right now and we're going to do our best to protect the elk and yeah maybe eliminate a couple wolves from killing a couple bulls but yeah the they'll start i mean the bigger bulls i've even you know this time it wouldn't surprise me to see a bigger bull in certain areas uh, lower elevation areas especially dropping right now but for the most part, you know, we see, I would say, 50% of the elk are still packing the first week of April. And then uh, I'd say a good 10 to 15% drop their antlers a week each week from there. And the younger mm-hmm. ones seem to be the last ones to drop. And it's usually... Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, later. You know, you'll see spikes sometimes clear into middle of May still packing antlers and... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a little three or four point raghorn. You'll. It's not uncommon to see them the end of April, even into the uh, first of May would probably be unusual. But yeah, huh? Well, 
when I was in Helena yesterday, there was a bill that was being heard just before the bill I was there to testify on about penalties for trespass while shed antler hunting. Because hmm. in Montana, we have a general trespass law, and then we have a trespass while hunting as a higher penalty yeah. under our under our criminal code. I don't I don't know why the berry picker who trespasses isn't slapped as hard as the hunter who trespasses. But in Montana, we make a distinction about <laughs> what you're doing and how much penalty you get if you're trespassing, which either way, it's like, don't trespass. That's, that's the first rule. Uh, but this rule was to enhance the fines and penalties related to trespass while shed antler hunting. Hmm. And, one of the, a lot of the comments were about in Montana we have a lot of wildlife management areas that are state properties that were bought with hunter dollars to make a bigger pie, uh, and we're not allowed to be on those wildlife management areas from December first to May first, sometimes May fifteenth. Well, when these antlers start dropping, and guys have been watching these big bulls up there, guess what? They're up there. Anyhow, and they're, yeah. they're pushing these elk around when they least can afford to be pushed around. Yep. Uh, and the other part is, if, if you have you ever seen some of those far side cartoons about how the wolf is always on the on the edge of somewhere, like looking at the sheep? <laughs> well, this is kind of, there are wolves around the periphery of these herds this time of year. I could go down to any of those areas and if I stayed there for a day, I'd probably locate a, a pack of wolves. Yeah. So, again, you start pushing them around, and they're in the place they are for a reason. Because predation, good food, or better food, at least. Uh, so, they, they illustrated all the consequences of disturbing these, <clears throat> these elk uh, before they drop their antlers or, you know, or when they're in the winter range, blah, blah, blah. So there, uh, the new penalty, if this bill passes, is you can lose your hunting, fishing, and trapping privileges for up to two years. Wow. Yeah. So don't go to a Montana WMA, wildlife management area, and chase the wintering bull elk, hoping that if you start moving them around, that they'll drop their antlers when they run through a batch of trees or something. I don't know if that really happens, but that that's some of the examples that was given as people watch these big elk and they know if they start moving a lot, they'll, you know, if they go through trees or whatever, they'll drop their antlers. Like, really? I had no idea. Yeah. So I guess like everything, you know, there's always going to be those few that if and you it's just put a, a, put a little money in, yep, yeah, put a little a money out there that, uh, and then everyone else gets has to follow the rules designed to uh, bring good protect behavior the 90, among, among. Yeah, protect the ninety eight percent from the two percent who don't get it. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like attorneys and politicians. There, you know, it's the ninety eight percent that give the other two percent a bad name. <laughs> The rest of the population, it's the 2% that give the 98% the bad name. 
And now every politician and attorney is going to send us an email link. Where, what's the email link they can send it to, Corey? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not giving it out now. <laughs> just come not on after, down. Not after that comment. <laughs> you just tell me, here's Randy's address. You just come on down. He's there at 8 o'clock every morning with his coffee and his cheese Danish. <laughs> come on down. <laughs> yeah. What's that, R.D. Mercer guy? How big yeah. a boy are you? Ain't nothing for me to whoop a man's. <laughs> I don't say that. He says that. Uh, uh, so, yes, uh, they, they can go to elktalkpodcast.com and click the contact link. And I would prefer to get questions more so than comments. But <laughs> if we have to deal with Randy making comments that are inflammatory. So maybe maybe we need uh, a decision tree out there. Is this a comment or is this a question? If it's a question, it goes to Corey's email. If it's a comment, it goes to Randy's email. Which is the same thing as going to the round file. <laughs> no, I read every one of these. I have a folder in my Outlook. I don't use Google Gmail. I use Outlook. Uh and over here, I have drafts, archives, and deleted items, Elk Talk Podcast. I have so many emails in the Elk Talk Podcast folder. It's crazy. But whenever we schedule a podcast, I pull that folder out and start reading them again. And uh, it's very helpful. I appreciate that people do that. because it, It's really what drives our content. I mean, I I don't know how, I mean, you and I come up with some of our own ideas, but when we're reading these, uh, it's pretty much uh, an analysis of what's on people's minds. And that's how we find out. Yep. So. Uh, we could talk about have, what we want to talk about, but that would get yeah. boring really quickly for most That'd people. That gets so boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has your credit? Oh, wait a second. You told me you didn't apply in Arizona this no, year. No, I just bought a point. Okay. So your credit card is not going to get hit with a tag fee. Nope. Is it? It's okay. Arizona's having troubles this year, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Man, it's. <laughs> uh, I'm sure everybody. Be? What's that? How hard can this really be? We gave away $25,000 in gear during Destination Elk, and we had the prizes drawn in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell them what, they, what I would charge uh, to let me do it for them. Yeah? Yeah. Just, I would be, I'd if be willing you, to do you it do for it, an Elk you, tag every year. You'd do it for free. Yeah, for an elk tag. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'd use my Excel spreadsheet. I'd put everybody's name in there. It would be completely random. Yeah. Except for well, here, here's the, the situation is a lot of people by now expect that they're going to have their Arizona draw results. And we got New Mexico a week from now. And so they're thinking, well, if I drew in Arizona... I don't want to apply in New Mexico. So this could be the year where they don't find out either way. And so they're going to have to say, hmm, guess I'm fronting my money to New Mexico anyhow. Do you think like states like Arizona and New Mexico are in collusion here? And 
Just don't publish your draw results so we can get most of those people to apply that wouldn't apply if they drew. <laughs> and get their $65. And then, like, I, I bet it's within a day, the day after New Mexico closes, Arizona will announce. Probably. Um, Even though normally it's the last Friday in February that Arizona, you start seeing credit cards get hit. Yeah. Uh, and this year, as bad as the drought is down there, if they don't hit my credit card, I'm not going to lose any sleep. And it's just, they're going to need some moisture or it might not be the best year Arizona's had. It might be, in fact, it might be one of the lower quality years in a long time so but if anybody's credit card's been hit in arizona i'd like to know how you get on that <laughs> list because mine hasn't so but uh you you ever uh uh hunt washington <laughs> That's, i get so much hate about that I don't even make much of a mention of Washington in the online course, and yeah. I have never hunted Washington, but I will hunt Washington someday. Someday. Okay. But people if, always if, are like, why the hate for Washington? I don't hate Washington. I just think that there's nine better choices. And Yeah. So if you do, let me give you a little insider tip here. Well, it's not an insider tip. All you got to do is Google rmef.org access, and this will pop up. But Gifford Pinchot National Forest, Gifford Pinchot was the first chief ever appointed by Theodore Roosevelt to run the Forest Service. So they named a forest after him down by Mount St. Helens in southwest Washington. Uh, RMEF has been working with a company called Pacific Corp, and they're an electric utility company. They own a lot of land in a lot of places. Uh, actually, where I've hunted in Wyoming, they own a bunch of wind farm land there. Hmm. Uh, but anyhow, uh, they entered into an agreement, and Army F just completed this uh, final portion of it, and they bought 640 acres. Uh, so they did some in 2010, 2012, 2017, and then they did this other one. And in that process... It opens up access to 5,652 acres. Wow. So, how's that, huh? That's pretty cool. You know, we were actually just talking, uh, gosh, I forget. Oh, I was talking to uh, Shannon from Angry Spike here just uh, last week, and we were talking about Washington because he lives over in Washington, and he he was saying the foot rot over there is just so Mm -hmm. bad that... Yeah. A lot of those coastal areas, it's getting bad. I mean, it's been bad. It's it's getting worse. So. Yeah. Need yeah. And, and <clears throat> one of the things about this, uh, Pacific Corp has entered into this program and also as part of this deal with Washington, what do they call themselves? Not Game and Fish, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, Pacific Corp has opened some of their other lands. Uh, I think the total package of what's there between Forest Service, Pacific Corp, and stuff is now 15,000 acres. Uh, But because of concerns over weeds, fires, other stuff, Pacific Corp says we'll open our land, but it's non-motorized access. Um, 
And I know some people are like, well, if I can't drive there, what good does it do? (laughs) Well, in this case, it's enough incentive to allow a big landowner to say, hey, if you aren't going to be tearing up our roads and you're not going to be spreading noxious weeds and lower likelihood that you're going to be, you know, increasing the risk of fire, that's what good it does us. It gives us access to places that otherwise wouldn't be able to go. This group trusts RMEF and Washington Fish and Wildlife to enough to say, hey, we'll do this. And uh, and even if you don't hunt it, think about it from your own selfish aspect. That That's a place for other hunters to go that hopefully relieves the pressure in the place you hunt to some small portion. So, yeah. No, I, I actually look for places you can't take motorized vehicles <laughs> if I'm thinking about hunting. So that's yeah. great. So it's stuff like that that I... This is my own personal, if if I have a criticism of RMEF and they hear it from me all the time, you need to tell people you're doing this stuff. And they're like, well, then people think we're just bragging or people think we're doing it just for marketing or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, I'm going to tell them you're doing it. So there, I just told people they're doing it. So doesn't matter where you live in elk country, the odds are. There's the footprint of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation somewhere in your backyard. Yeah, or maybe not even in elk country. Right. It's going to be future elk country. Yeah, so go to rmef.org, sign up, be a member. And uh, we did that big promo last year where we fronted the money. I was going to say, I still remember that. (laughs) Yeah. I remember writing that check. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to, folks, they do have a sportsman's membership level of 100 bucks, which I would, that's my plea, is that you become a sportsman's level member. With that, uh, that extra money you get, you donate, goes to the access program. So you know that you're doing more for access. And I, I don't know if they're still doing it. I think they are. Uh, Gerber, uh, you know, there's the Randy Newberg elk hunting knife. I think you get one of those Randy Newberg series knives if you go to the sportsman's level. I don't know if they're still doing Wait. that or not. Hold yeah. On. Are you serious? You didn't get one? No. Oh, sorry. For, no, fortunately, you sent me one, but... So, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where do uh, I shop so, get I don't involved, join? Is, is that what you do? You go to the website and yep. you say join? Yeah. Okay, join. You get a gift card if you come. become an annual member. Yeah, look at that. $100 annual sportsman membership. You get... Uh, you get in on their exclusive club discounts or a bunch of their partners give you discounts. It's like an affinity group. You get Bugle Magazine. You know that your money is going to to access. And you get the Randy Newberg Exchange Blade System knife from Kerber. That's a $60 value. I know. Yeah. So and, you can pay $60 for that. I know. I, I forgot to send you the invoice is what That's I forgot say, to do. I'm indebted to you now. <laughs> oh, if I get any kinder, Corey, I'll die of enlargement of the heart, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great knife. Uh, so what, what, one last thing I want to touch on before we leave, and this the question came from Oregon, but it could apply to anywhere. And this goes to my thought of keeping the pie bigger. 
Ah, uh, this person says, hey, because of hunting pressure, Oregon is going to make a lot of its Rocky Mountain elk units limited entry draw. Do you think people understand how much pressure that's going to place on the Roosevelt elk population that is going to stay over the counter archery? So it sounds like Oregon's going to make the a lot of the units that were over the counter archery elk for Rocky Mountain elk going to make most of those limited entry draw and this person is saying that's going to push so much pressure over to the roosevelt population that is going to stay over the counter um it it very likely could i don't yeah i don't know what the answer is and that's why for me like in my home state of montana in your state idaho most of our units are general units not all but most and I want to keep those as general units as much as I can, whether that's managing motorized travel, whether it's managing season dates, whether it's whatever. Because every time you take a unit that was a general unit and you make it a limited entry unit, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That displaces the hunters that were there as a general unit and puts them somewhere else. So it's like throwing a rock in a pond. The ripple effect is going to affect other places. So I don't know. I haven't heard. Is there a bill that that's being proposed or that's passed? To uh, I think it was. I think it was their agency through their administrative rule process last summer. Uh, they were discussing it, and I don't know if they came to a final conclusion. I, I should know that before throwing it out here. But whether it passed or didn't pass, uh, to me, the point is try to build and sustain and conserve bigger populations across your landscape. And I'll use an example in Montana. When I first moved here in the early 90s, every, every year they have a public season setting, public hearings for the season setting process. And now they've moved it to every other year. But we all would show up. This was before Al, Al Gore invented the internet. Uh, <laughs> he was vice president at the time. He hadn't had time to invent, invite, invent the internet. So just a joke, folks. Don't send me a bunch of hate mail. That's my going joke about how old I am. I, I was doing this stuff before Al invented the internet. So. <laughs> uh, we'd all show up at these public hearings. So the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks elk biologists are like, hey, folks, you know, as motorized travel is increasing, because at the time this was really a big expansion of uh, ATVs. Like the, they were going from three-wheelers to four-wheelers at this time. Some people probably don't even know that the original ATV was a tricycle. Uh, I had one. <laughs> uh, and, but, and then we go to side-by-sides, whatever. And so the the state said, look, we're, we're talking to our peers in other states, and we think that if we don't do something about seasonal uh, closures related to motorized travel, we might end up, instead of having a six-week archery season, it might get shortened significantly. And instead of a five-week rifle season, that could get shortened significantly. And a lot of our units could go from general to limited entry. So we're here asking, what do you guys want? And so they said, how many would prefer to see more motorized travel and shorter seasons and more limited entry? 
I think two people out of the room of a couple hundred raised their hand. Really? And then they said, how many people are willing to deal with us working with federal agencies to have seasonal closures to benefit benefit elk, but you get to keep your six weeks of archery and your five weeks of rifle, and most of the state remains general seasons. People didn't just raise their hand. They stood up like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, whoa, man, they giving away free beer to these guys? Or is, but, so that's what Montana did. Montana embarked on a program to work with the federal agencies where we have a lot of seasonal road closures or motorized travel restrictions, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we still have six weeks of archery and five weeks of rifle. And we haven't added a limited entry elk unit for a long time. Hmm. So we've been able to maintain that. And some would say, well, yeah, but you got way too many hunters on public land. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's a different topic. Uh, my, my point of all that is we've been fortunate in our state. But I know in a lot of other states, they've not been that fortunate. And more every year, another unit goes to limited entry or the whole state or a whole region goes to limited entry. And... That has an impact on opportunity. So to the extent you can keep more elk on the ground and keep your bull-to-cow ratios and your cow-to-calf ratios in good shape, it's worth it in the long run. Yep. So that's that's the lesson I take away from the Oregon example that the, the listener sent us the email on. It's, Try to avoid that if you can. Um, I don't know if the agency did. Con- they asked, "Do you think the agency considered this?" I'm like, "I, I have no idea." So, yep. what else we got, Corey? Or have we Man. rambled on long enough? <laughs> I think we could always ramble on longer, but in uh, respect for people's time, you know, we want to break it up into chunks. And so, yeah, yeah, we can. Uh, we could wrap this one up and uh, remind them to send us their questions, their ideas for topics or things that they want to learn about and Mm -hmm. give us a little bit of a heads up. That way we have time to make something up when we come back and share it and don't have to make it up on the spot. Okay. (laughs) So, Hey, did you watch my video where we ate the wolf? I I didn't watch it, but I did see it, and I saw the uh, the thumbnail for it, and mm-hmm. I didn't have the courage right. to. <laughs> well, I screwed it up in how I cooked it. I I was so worried about disease. In fact, a chef from Iowa got a hold of me and said, "Hey, I do a lot of cooking with a sous vide, which is one of these hot water or temperature." control devices you don't need to do that to pasteurize for disease you only need to get it to 165 for a short period of time and then let it you know let it come back down i didn't know that i left it at 170 for four hours (laughs) it's like eating a charcoal briquette by the time i'm done but nobody, here we are a month later, no yeah. one's walking around with trichinosis or echinosis or whatever those other osuses are. <laughs> and uh, flavor-wise, it was pretty mild. It was way more flavorful than any spring bear I've ever eaten. Really? Which that's, a pretty, uh, that's a pretty low bar to clear, I know. Uh, you know, a spring bear that's been 
the last thing they ate was an elk gut pile and then they crawled in at den i mean that's not like he was down in the blueberry patch or something <laughs> so uh, a spring bear can be pretty pretty strong uh but among the crew the vote was nine in favor zero said no that they would eat it again huh so the next time i shoot a wolf i'm packing it out again and I'm going to invite one of these chefs from, I've had multiple professional cooks. Uh, I better not call them cooks or chefs. Chef, uh, yeah. yeah. Get a hold of me and say, you know, let me teach you how to do this. So I'm going to invite one of them out next time. And uh, we're going to eat another one <laughs> if, if I'm lucky enough to shoot another one. So I don't know. Maybe they'll rename, instead of our platforms being called Fresh Tracks, it'll be called the Dogmen or something, you know? <laughs> People be like, here comes Newberg, get the dogs in the house. He no eats canines. So, uh, I just, I couldn't do it. I know. I, I couldn't do it. I've always wanted to do it. And people are like, well, why would you do that? I was like, well, it's always been a curiosity for me. Because I, I trap a lot. And I've trapped fox and coyotes. And it's like, hmm. I wonder if they're edible. I mean, I know people who trap bobcats and they eat them. I know lion hunters. I mean, that same day, Paul in our office, they'd shot a lion. We ate that too. I've ate lion many times. It's excellent. It's like, look, it can't be that bad. And it actually turned out to be pretty darn good. So hmm. now, as far as wolves go, I don't know about coyote and fox because they're such sinewy, wiry, grisly things. I'm not sure that I'll do that, but... I can see myself eating wolf going forward. So. Interesting. I know you and the audience are saying, all right, anyone who doubted Newberg was dropped on his head as a youngster, we now have proof. He was dropped on his head multiple times. <laughs> so, oh well. Thanks, no, Corey. No, thank you. And thanks for, uh, thanks for all that you do to keep everybody on top of all these bills and being a voice yeah. and advocate you know, for for hunters, you know, it's, that's, it's time consuming and energy consuming. I know I just my yeah. contribution's been only in Idaho and just keeping up on some of the stuff here and doing that. It time you research and get all the facts, you don't sound completely ignorant when you send in your comments or stand up and take your two minutes of of time. It's uh, it takes yeah. a lot of time and energy. Yeah, that that it does, and uh, I uh, I apologize that we might have to dwell on it more than I'd like, uh, but I feel it's important. And I, I was the beneficiary that when I moved to Montana thirty years ago, my first legislative session was nineteen ninety three. So what's that? Twenty twenty eight years ago? Oh my gosh! No wonder everyone <laughs> when I show up there looks at me like, "Hey, you need a cane." You need a walker? Can we get a wheelchair for this guy? He's been coming up here forever. <laughs> uh, but those people took the time and took me aside to show me the importance of it and show me how you can do it and just taught me so much. And that was before we had these communication tools we have today. So I feel that it's incumbent on me to try to do some of the same. So I appreciate people tolerating the time that we, we spend in that, that uh, at least when legislatures are in session. So yeah, well, hopefully. that's just, we, we have to be a lot more 
active and proactive than than what we got away yeah. with in the past. It's yeah. To, to use your uh, your basketball thing and uh, some of the Michael Jordan quotes, he hated playing defense all the time, even though he's super good at it. He'd like to play offense. Well, I'm trying to figure out how we can start playing a little more offense instead of always being a, playing defense because defense is a lot of work and takes a lot of energy. So, and you can't win the game if you're playing defense all 60 <laughs> minutes of the game. At some point, the yeah. other team's going to score, and if you aren't looking to to yeah. be on the offense, then yeah, you can end up losing. When I, when I have my plan finalized of how we're going to play a little offense, I'll I'll let you know. Excellent. You're going to start a website and put all of the proposed bills out there. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, we got that email, didn't we? Someone's like, Randy should just do this. It's like, oh, I know I probably should, but I got another life. I got to, you know, I, I can't live four lives at the same time. So. <laughs> but anyhow, folks, thanks for being here. Corey, have a great day. You too. We'll catch you on the next one.